Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I chat with River today, a very dear friend who lives the most adventurous life. At a young age, he was exposed to camping and the outdoors, and he's never looked back. What I love about this interview is we hear a story about someone knowing his passion and then figuring out how to turn that passion into his career. After graduating college during a recession, it took time, but he was patient and extremely hardworking in order to realize his dream. Enjoy this episode. Well, R- River, thank you for coming. <laughs> so formal. Um, so we know each other because you're married to one of my very best friends, and we've known each other a really long time. I'm very lucky. Yes, you are. It's like two in one, really. <laughs> best of both worlds. Uh, so I thought we should talk today because, one, I think you have a very interesting story in terms of someone who uh, has followed his passion and ended up working in a field that you really enjoy and love. And I feel like that doesn't always happen for people. So I'm interested to talk to you about that. Um, And also, as you know, I've spent some time in these podcast episodes talking with people about their path in life and how they navigate that in hopes that it'll help young adults or people that are just starting new professions so they can understand and benefit from our mistakes. And, you know, our our experiences. So that's kind of the backdrop for the podcast. And um, I just appreciate having you and your time today. Well, thanks for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. So first, um, I want to talk a little bit just about your passion for the outdoors. And as long as I've known you, um, you're someone that is so passionate about that and loves being outside and loves all sorts of outdoor activities and just curious how that started for you. Like, were you a Boy Scout? Did you, was that early for you? Like, how were you exposed to that? You know, I, you would think growing up in Arlington, Virginia, that you wouldn't have such a passion for the outdoors. Um, but it came from, no, no doubt, my parents. They were big outdoors people. My mom was a recreation major and a travel agent. Ah. Um, and then from early days, all of our vacations revolved around something on outdoors so uh, in in my youth probably before I was 10 years old we did two cross-country trips where all we did was camp in national parks Um, so from from before I could even remember I still don't remember a lot of those because I was so young but yeah we one trip lasted a month and one lasted two months where we drove across the country in a no air conditioning um, (laughs) Volkswagen (laughs) Uh, station wagon and we drove across country and camped and and in that doing that were you like was your dad super into like cooking outside and was there like how did you guys like was it all outside in terms of your pitching a tent and you've got the little kerosene oh you bet yeah, yeah like everything's yeah, very yeah, yeah it was usually probably like three or four days out one day in a hotel three four mm-hmm. days out one day in a hotel yep and would you like how would you eat Oh, it would be, you know, making things outside. Yeah. Um, you know, that, w- that was long before the days when you had uh, mountain house meals where you poured water in a packet 
right. um, and you had a yummy meal, it was, um, you know, a Skittle on a... Now, we weren't backpacking camping. It was all what they call today glamping, um, which <laughs> right. is you're parking a car, you're pitching a tent next to the car. You're doing a lot of day hikes and things like that, right. but we weren't throwing packs on our back. That didn't come till later when I got in the Boy Scouts that we did a lot of that. Um, but but I no doubt the passion for it came from there. there. Yeah. And then, um, so that is interesting because you mentioned Boy Scouts. In terms of going back and not being on the road, but just living in Northern Virginia, then how did you maintain um, that interest or what were some of the things that you were involved in? But before I got my driver's license, it was the Scouts because that, that gave me the avenue. And I was fortunate enough to get into a, uh, a highly um, outdoor-oriented scouting group. My, our scoutmaster was a, a retired Special Forces guy, and he liked to do the hardcore backpacking. Uh-huh. So I don't think if I had not had that experience, had not had that opportunity with the scouts, I would have stayed in scouting. Um, because I wasn't there for the merit badges and all that stuff. I was there for camping. Ah. Um, and he took us, every month we went somewhere. Um, and most of it involved putting a backpack on and hiking into our camp spot, which I loved. That, that the started, hiking is like... Yeah, that started my passion for like, ooh, we get off the road. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was it for me. And did you find like in that element... Um, that you felt like very at home and like were with like people, you know, because if you're in that, presumably with Boy Scouts, like most of those kids want to be outdoors. I mean, some of it maybe is parent enforced, but like, did you kind of feel like, oh, I found my people, like th- these are people that I yes. relate yeah, to? Yeah, I, I do remember in the Scouts, there was some of us that really wanted to be there and there's yeah. some of us that didn't. Yeah. Um, and I remember, because I, I was fortunate enough to do the high adventure um, the local high adventure, which was in Goshen at that time, and then one of the high adventures—I don't think Boy Scouts has it, but it's up in um, up in Maine—and um, we did a month up there, wow. canoeing, um, climbing Mount Katahdin, and that was like the the higher tier of the people in Boy Scouts that wanted to be do that type of thing. And what, um, like, you weren't like like how old were you when you went to Maine? Uh, I remember I was I was just 14 and a half or 15 years old because I couldn't drive because we drove up from Virginia in a van, all of us together. And I remember I was almost had my driver's license, but yeah. And you weren't like at all afraid to leave home Never. or any, like you, nope. your fear, like with all these kind of things, when I think about like kind of being an outdoors person and all the things you've been involved in, like from a very early age, have you always kind of been fearless? You've never had like something yep. like that hold you back no my wife always says that i'm missing that part of my brain mm. i just don't have a fear of that stuff yeah i wish i had that too no. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing nothing um okay so tell me a little bit about growing up in northern virginia so you um your dad was a police officer right he in was. in arlington he which was. is a suburb of dc yep. and kind of a rough part right erupts was it rough or not so much no we lived in south arlington um but northern virginia was a whole different place yeah when i grew up you know, i'm 50 now and it was you know it was it was like almost a little town right um it's not that way anymore no. <laughs> um but it was a yeah. it was I, I never had any problems there no yeah it was fine 
And what was it like having someone in law enforcement as a parent? Was that hard to see? Like, I'm sure that's not an entirely easy life, right? Like, Yeah, you know, in the neighborhood that we lived in, everyone walked to the bus station. Um, to, if you took a bus to work, I mean, if you took a bus to, to school, and we lived on a very busy road, and my father's police car was parked out in front of the house because they mm-hmm. had what's called take-homes back then. I don't think they had Oh, they take- would just leave him at... Oh, yeah, you drive it home. So yeah. everyone knew my father was a police officer. So, yeah, there was definitely some ribbing and teasing, and you had a nickname called a piglet. Um, you were the piglet? I was a piglet. Oh. No, no, it was definitely, you, you. my brother and I were known that we were son of a police officer. And was his, like, was he home during the week? Was he gone a lot? Like, how? Um, yeah, my father was, uh, he was, a, he was a, a patrol officer for a while, and then he did, um, major crimes so he was plain closed um and then he did some other stuff with some federal agencies so so for a, a time period in my uh, later towards the end of his career he was gone a lot and did you would he talk to you about his job at all or could he no, not really no not on the last uh five or six years no yeah and did he ever get hurt or were you ever yep. like scared for him given oh, that was his yeah. job he'd get hurt quite often yeah a lot he actually got retired on disability but yeah he's a lot of car wrecks, and got he got run over by a car one time. Um, yeah, a lot of injuries. And you're older or younger than your brother? Younger. Younger. Um, and so did you all um, – it's so interesting because you, he was in this profession that was sort of risky, and that was probably kind of scary to have that as a parent, but then you kind of have this whole risk sort of taking life, right, in the same way. Is your brother similar? Uh, no doubt, yes. Really? More so. Really? Yeah. Do you think that comes from him being such a, your dad being a risk taker? Yeah, I never thought about it, but could have been, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And then what's we, your... We were just, we were never, yeah, we were never, um, uh, faced with the, anything but. We, we lived That was with, what you knew. We, that's what we knew, right. And then what was, your, what about your mom? Have you always had a good, like, I let your mom yeah. is one of my favorite people, and I, like, want to be like her when I grow up? Oh, yeah. One of my <laughs> best friends in the world. She's amazing. Yeah. She is amazing. We've been very fortunate to travel around the world together, and a lot of travel. She had a um, desire to visit every National Park Lodge, so we've done just about all of them together. Yeah. Yeah. And were you always close growing up? Like, was she? Not always, no. No. Mm-mm. So what, like, tell me a little bit about that, because I know you said you gave your parents kind of a hard time. So how did that show up? Um, prob- a lot of us do, right? You're not alone in that, yeah. I think. I probably, if, if ADHD was yeah. a diagnosis when I was a child, yeah. I definitely would have been given some sort of something to calm me down. You know me, I'm a spaz. <laughs> I, I, I don't ever stop moving. Right. So as a child, I did the same thing to my parents. I just was into everything all the time. I don't know how they didn't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when did that, it just change as you got older and matured and you were able to, yeah. you were kind of your own person. Maybe a little. Maybe, yeah. It's not, we're not fully baked <laughs> still yet. Still drive my wife crazy. <laughs> yeah, still, still working that through. All right, so then just in terms of like high school and college, one of the things that I like to talk about are um, any, like, for you particularly, significant like successes or challenges, right, during that period of time that you feel like might benefit. So part of this is helping 
you know, someone might be in your same shoes right now, right? And, and listening and thinking about sort of an intersection point where it may be tough times. So is there anything that sticks out for you, whether it was some of what we talked about with your parents or academics or social pressure, anything like that in that time period that was tough for you or you feel like was a challenge that helped change you know, your course? You know, uh, high school, I was, or in college, I was never what you could would consider an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wasn't known for my good grades. <laughs> um, I always I always wanted to be outside. Um, and as soon as I got my uh, driver's license in high school, I was gone. Yeah. Um, I luckily found some friends in high school that had almost identical desires um, and one of them became one of my best friends and their family had a bunch of property land. So we immediately became besties. Mm-hmm. And then after school, we'd be gone. Um, and we'd go out to the farm and do what we did out there, right? Mm-hmm. Motorcycles. And yeah. I, I was very fortunate that my parents, um, and I don't know if you could even do this today with the modern life, but my parents were very understanding and free of yeah. my schedule. Yeah. I mean, I was just take off. I'd come home at night, but but even on the weekends, they'd allow me just to go away. And that was before the days of cell phones. Right. And I'm 16 right. years old, and see a Friday night, I'm come back Sunday afternoon in time for school. That that freedom gave me a lot of opportunities to explore and do the things that I wanted to do. Did they ever give you pressure about academics? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted me to obviously do better in school. Um, right. You know, I wasn't flunk out. But, right. You know, I was a. B minus students. Right, right. And because your interests were elsewhere, right? They like, were you, elsewhere. you know, you find kind of the thing that you love. And that's another thing that I think is so important and part of your story that I love, which is, you know, you're, that whole period of like high school and college, it is eight years mostly, depending on how you, you factor in, you know, extended stays and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there's a system that's structured around that kind of learning. And that's just one type of learning. And right now, at least in the U.S., it's a traditional path that most people go through. I think just now we're starting to see people take alternative paths. People take gap years. People do things that once they identify their strengths and their interests, it's not such a pre-planned mm-hmm. you know, destination of you have to go to college. So I think the fact that you have a passion and you knew that very early on and it was part of your life in that you excelled. One of the other conversations I recently had with some young people actually they were saying, find the thing you're good at it and be really good at it. And don't try to force Mm -hmm. the, you know, don't force a direction in another way. It's like, if you're really good at it, then be as good as you can. And it sounds like you dedicated a lot of time to becoming smart and capable in the outdoors. And that was, you know, your, right? Like once you kind of connected with that. I did. I didn't want to go to college. After high school, I was going to go to Montana to guide school. Yeah. Um, that makes I, complete sense. But I didn't have the upbringing of learning about Western mountains. Um, so I was, they had a school to learn how to be an outdoor guide. And I was going to go to that. I remember having the pamphlets and everything. And my yeah. parents did not want me to do that. They wanted me to go to the college route. Um, and there were some fights yeah. about doing that. And they ended up winning. Um, and I ended up going to college. Um, but it all turned out for the best. I went to a great school in right. Southern Virginia that was right in the middle of the you heart. You and my husband went to the same school. <laughs> it was that's right. Um, it was right in the middle of the heart of everything that I love to do. Right, so right, I was like able rural, to, right? Yes. And, yeah. I mean, river runs right through the campus. It was. 
I spent a lot of time. I used to do my class schedule around right. being outside. So that actually brings up a good question. I'm curious now that you are where you are and kind of looking back, and, and maybe things have changed a little bit, but do you find that degree, that you fa- the fact that you per- finished it has mm-hmm. helped you in some, like in terms of the jobs that you've had and the way that you've been able to evolve? While it wasn't something you were like super passionate about and wanted to do, mm-hmm. are you glad you did it? Yes, I mean I'm glad I have the degree. Um, it's just that it's nothing. I'm not a. You are a criminal justice major, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Did they not justice. have like yeah. an outdoor? They did actually. I started school as a recreation major, uh-huh. um, and then I started to a year and a half into that, I started to research what I could do and what my earning potential was. And recreation uh, majors, earning potentials is not high. Right. Um, so I said, well, I got to do something different. Now, not that criminal justice <laughs> is a massive recreation major, but I kind of changed my focus. And my goals then was to go maybe do something federal, not mm-hmm. local law enforcement, but right. federal related. Um, FBI, DEA, CIA, something like that. Um, so I got the degree. And So that's interesting. Were you someone that... Um always set goals like do you, are you a goal like i'm i'm gonna set this goal i'm gonna meet this goal kind of person have you mm, yeah uh yeah 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 i'm more so now i mean looking back then i yeah. was a goal setter without knowing that i was writing them down <laughs> and setting goals right like but there's no doubt i had a i had something i had a direction i wanted to go to and i knew how to get there were you so you talked about high earning potential were you driven by money like to to make money would you say i wasn't driven by money no i was not but i but i knew that i needed enough to live a certain lifestyle with your to be able to engage in your outdoor life right because that's not entirely inexpensive no (laughs) to do the things like canoeing and fishing and hunting and everything right there's a lot of like and to live in the places that i figured i would want to Uh live you would there weren't um uh, jobs readily available right around the corner okay then here's another question i have for you how um proactive were you because now i talk to you all the time one of our sons is super into nature and the outdoors and wants to think have a career in that path so you're such a great resource for that but how at that time how proactive how educated were you on all the types of jobs no, I wasn't no I wasn't and that wasn't something yeah and, and that's one thing that you know it's, it's changed from when we were kids yeah. about the resources that you have to research things we had yeah. the encyclopedia right Botanica. and the career services center is probably not going to hook you up with a national fishing and wildlife right yeah. exactly um and they have little puppies make an appearance <laughs> in the background yeah uh yeah there wasn't there wasn't the ability to understand what was available job-wise in the world and also compounded on that growing up in a family of law enforcement you know the 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 blue sticks with the blue Mm. and really back then I mean the only thing we did things with our friends were other police officers like your Um, family friends yeah so you didn't really get to see oh he's an accountant oh he's a volcanologist oh he's a a, a geologist right. and then get asked the questions about what those people did um, whereas now kids either you know if they grow up different than I did they may have uh, family friends that are that and they can ask the questions and I suggest you ask all the questions yeah. that you can um, or you've got the internet at your disposal you can see right. what things do and what you do with a degree and 
earning potentials and where you can live and things like that. It's so much easier for kids these days to figure that out. But man, I wish I had that at my disposal. Yeah. That just made me think of another question um, in terms of when you were in high school and you said you didn't really like school. When you got to college, you had more freedom and you could actually take classes that were a little bit more of interest. Did it get better? No. Not really? No. Just, oh, it was always a means to an end. Like, yep. let's just get through this so I can get outside. It was. Okay. Yep. So then, so you said, okay, so now we're at the point where you are leaving school. And what was your first job out of school? Like, how mm. did that transition go? Because when we graduated, it was a tough it was. time. We were, there was a recession. It was, And yes. it was a very hard, like, I worked at a gym. <laughs> that was my first job, was working at Arlington Y Tennis and Squash, actually. Um, and I had a communications degree and, you know, it was just a really hard time to find a job. So what was that like for you, your transition? From- yeah, you know, it's, it's probably, possibly the, uh, then it was bad because it was 1992 and right. the country was right in the middle of a recession. And I got out of school with a degree in law enforcement and no one was hiring. Mm-hmm. There was no opportunity to be yeah. hired for years because of just the hiring freezes and budgets and local, and I, and I wanted to go work where my dad worked. I knew everybody, it was a small town. Um, I, w- I did my internship there. It would have been easier to get a job there. And I, my parents still lived in that area. So all my friends from high school, you know, all of us, we've all yeah. stayed around this area. Um, but I couldn't get a job. It, I, was, I was unhirable because, and it was, I think it was at that time, it was going to be two years before I'd even be able to turn in an application. So I just started temping. Um, and a temp job turned into a full-time job. Um, they hired me, and I was working in the medical industry um, doing stuff within hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that turned into a job that I had for five years. Right. Um, but during that time, I was also volunteering for a conservation organization. And became a hardcore volunteer where all of us, when I, that's when, about the time when I started Meet You mm-hmm. and my wife, is that people thought that I worked for that, that conservation yeah. company because I was volunteering with them for 20 hours a week. Um, and luckily I had a, the job that I had at the time. I worked from home. I traveled a lot. So I was able to volunteer a lot. Yeah. So there's two things in that story that I think are so important one this idea that when you get out of college it's not always this quick and easy transfer to a paying job that you're happy in right so the fact that you took a temp job and I coach young people and we have this conversation sometimes that if things aren't biting or things aren't going the way that you need to Temping is a great opportunity to try different things to, it's maybe not glamorous, but it's an opportunity to see what's out there. And the fact that it wasn't even in your either line of interest, right? Because you were a criminal justice major. Oh, I had to pay the bills. Right, you had to pay the bills. And also the fact that you volunteered in an area that you liked and that uh, we'll talk about this, how that ultimately led to your role there. But I think you don't, the big thing that I think is such a hard and it, it was hard for me at the time and probably hard for you at the time to grasp is that you don't know the end. So sometimes you just have to take, you just have to take the yeah. ne- next step towards something. And no the, doubt. And the fact that you were able to volunteer and be exposed, you probably learned a lot about that organization, about conservation, about things that you didn't, you know, even though you liked being outdoors, oh, that yeah. then allowed you to be a good candidate when they actually needed a paying oh, job, right? Oh, there's no doubt. It, yes. 
And no so doubt. you worked at that company for five years, and then ultimately there was a job um, with the conservation organization. Yep. And that's like, a, I think you've told me this, it's like half volunteers, half paid, or is it even uh, no, bigger? No, no. There were, that organization had uh, 65,000 volunteers and about 100 wow. paid staff. Okay, yeah. okay. So what was that first job? What what was the like the parameters or what was that and how did you interview for it? Like was it a hard job mm, to get? Mm, yeah, so it was I was not the typical hire for that job at the time. They had a they had a certain demographic of of education um, and age that they were looking for at the time. And I was opposite of that. Um, but I, I, I had to do an interview. I remember I flying, flew for it, and I did an eight-hour interview. With like a panel of people? With or? a panel of people all throughout the day. Even though I didn't know I was being interviewed, they took me out to lunch, but a whole different group, group took me out to lunch, and they were all evaluating me. Um, and I, I learned all this because after I got hired, those people became my friends, and they <laughs> filled you. me in on yeah. what they were all saying about me. Um, so... Yeah, and it was, it was, oh my God, I remember I came back home and my wife now was my girlfriend at the time. And I remember my dog could sense my nervousness and he got sick all weekend um, oh, because wow. we were just waiting on pins and needles because it was going to change our life. It was a job in a different state that we'd have to move for. So it was a big deal. And I wanted it bad. And you were patient. I mean, how long did you wait? Were there other jobs that you applied for that you didn't get, or were you thoughtful not, about, you know, like... Not, there wasn't. That was the first job that became available, and at that time, that organization didn't have... They had no turnover, right. um, and that was the first one that came available for yeah. a long time. Um, so, yeah, it was like, if this didn't happen, what was going to happen next? And yeah. I really wanted it. And it was a fundraising job? It was a fundraising okay. job. So yep. Yeah, what were your responsibilities? Like you know, you, they moved you to a, a region or yep. an area that you were yep. then? Yep, yep. And then I had a very large uh, territory of volunteers. So I was basically working with the people that I was yeah. as a volunteer. So you probably had a lot of knowledge and opinions about how that should be, given that you spent so much time I did. contributing to I that, did. right? I did. And that organization has certain ways that they want things, how they want it done. Yeah. And I obviously, they liked what I had to say and right. how I wanted it done in that, um, in that interview. And it was, it's interesting because in that position they put me in, there needed to be a lot of cleanup. Um, there was things mm. were not being run correctly prior. So they needed somebody that would go in there and not have a problem because um, it was going to be cantankerous for the first year. Um, it was basically going to change how they did things. Mm -hmm. um, and they needed someone that was be able to do that. And did you feel like because you had spent that time volunteering, like I'm curious because you're in a new job and it's a company that you've wanted to work for for a long time. And so I'm sure you want to make a good impression and you want to do well, right? Because this is your first yep. entry point into this type of career that you've really wanted your whole life. Yep. So the fact that they needed you come in and be a heavy <laughs> or to be yeah. like, was it, it was, was that nerve wracking? And you how know, do you know how to do that without pissing everybody off? You know, it was, that's a very good question. I was fortunate that I had trusted my supervisors, the people that hired me. They said, there's really nothing you can do wrong in this job if you're able to clean this place up. We've got your back. And I trusted and you them. believed that. I believed it. Um, and that allowed me to have the ability to, and I was the heavy. Um, yeah. 
You're good at that, actually. We don't have time to go into the details. But yeah, yeah you know, that yeah. actually turned out to be uh, very helpful to me for the, the, for the next 18 years that I right. worked for that company because I turned out to be the, the guy that did that across the country, the heavy, the fixer. You know, you and I have talked a lot about this separately, about the appreciation of being direct Mm -hmm. right and people being straight and Mm -hmm. people being genuine and authentic and that when you say things or do things or act in a way that comes from that place people will generally Mm -hmm. react well right it's like when you're being manipulative or when you're using um, those skills I think sometimes to for your own personal gain or there's other things that show up but I think in terms of being direct or having to be the heavy or be difficult if if it comes from a sound point of view or there's a good foundation or you explain the why behind it people generally get that yeah the you people, agree I agree yeah I agree to a point the people who who you want to stick around will believe it right. and the ones right. that don't will go their own way right um, you know I always used um the the idea and 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 I never called it this or I never had a saying it wasn't an email tagline my whole life but it turned out I learned it later in life but the way I always live my life and I don't know where I got this from but if you you need to do what's right and not what's what's easy yeah. um, and in, and I have found in my long tenure of mm-hmm. working in in the workforce that most people choose to do what's easy mm-hmm. um, but. And doing what's right isn't popular all the time. And I've made some enemies over the years in this industry from doing what is right. Right. But I sleep better at night, and I know that I'm doing it for the right reason. At the end of the day, I know I have right on my side. Yeah, I had a a colleague once or yeah, at at, uh, one of the organizations I worked for. She always used to say, the right side of right. And uh, there was another guy that we worked with that was like, it's not even a saying, but it was, it conveys a message, right? Which is like, there's being right. And then there's and doing things in the right way. And then there's sort of being a far, far right to make sure that happens. So that leads me to like, you mentioned 18 years. So you excelled in that job and you excelled in that company. And I've known you um, outside of that because I didn't work with you, but I've known you, your work ethic has always been um, impressive to me and something that I feel like you're highly motivated maybe it gets back to the like you're antsy and so you're kind of always moving but um i don't think it's that simple so so how how would you say you cultivated that work ethic has it always been part of you and i think you know it's interesting especially going back to the academics because i feel like people and i i also struggled academically um until i started getting into things that i liked but you know, people have a perception that you're lazy if you're not good at academics. And I think it's important that not, you know, there's a certain percentage of the population that that's the best way they learn and they excel in that space. And then we have found both of us that just because you excel in that space doesn't mean you're a great employee. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the, the work ethic thing I think is important to work through things that are hard or to drive through things with that that you need resilience or to be like you get no, but you're going to figure out another way. So those are all things. And I think I'm curious how that showed up for you, how early that showed up for you or how you knew to cultivate that. And was that intentional on your part? You know, it, I always had a job. Always. I was a hustler mm. when I was little. It was a paper route. Then it was cutting grass. 
um, where I had a route. And then um, in high school, I worked in the cafeteria. Um, to at help, your high school? At my high school to help pay for my lunches. Um, and then I had a job on the weekend where I worked at a gas station. Um, and then wow. in my summers, I worked on a, all the way from my summers starting in 14 years old, I worked on a sawmill. 14, 15, and 16 years old, I was, that was the joke in my family, that was summer camp for my brother and I, <laughs> that we went out to a old school uh, uh, sawmill out in uh, Western Virginia. And we stayed there and lived with a family friend and we worked on a sawmill. Um, oh. And it was a real deal, no joke, 10 hours a day, sawmill, hauling the lumber down to Newport News. I'd ride in the trucks and we'd come back. Um, and then back when I went back to school, I worked at that Exxon gas station my entire high school time um, uh, when, when I could drive after I got my driver's license. Uh, but then even after, even in my summers in high school, I worked after the sawmill on a farm um, and lived out there and drove combines and planted things. So the need to work, was that driven by like you wanted to be able to like again pay for your lifestyle or were you can like what what was the drive to work so hard and to have was it like your parents were like you're getting a job like how did that no, no i don't think so they, i don't remember having that conversation it was something to do outside it let, let me be outside um and then it also yes i wanted a truck i wanted a, a vehicle mm. when i as soon as i got my driver's license i knew that that vehicle equaled freedom for me so I wanted it. And my parents, I never wanted for anything when I was little. My parents didn't have a pile of cash. Right. My father was a police officer. Right. My mother was a travel agent. I mean, that's not the, you're not getting rich off of that. Right. But they, but we never wanted for anything. I don't remember ever wanting to go on vacations or looking at other kids and wanting that pair of shoes. Nothing like that. But I knew that there was also a limit to their generosity and that if I wanted a vehicle, I had to supply it for myself right so i worked i remember i worked i remember going and buying that vehicle when i was 16 years old so did you say S are you a good saver like did you say did you know to save obviously I, I towards that goal I did. yes it was it was a piggy bank it was actually a burke and herbert bank account <laughs> on columbia pike and i remember putting the money in there and just knowing yeah, that and waiting and i i bought that truck when i was 16 years old for five fifty five hundred bucks it was a used S10 pickup. And yeah. that was my freedom. And how did, yeah, how did it feel to make that purchase? It was good. Like that you had yep. earned all that yep. money, right, for that purchase? Yep. So that's interesting too, just to go back for a second. Like in terms of all of those jobs, I mean, and even working at your high school cafeteria, that has to be, I would think, hard socially. Like there's, there's, do people know that, like do people give you a hard time about that? Did you ever feel because you had to work hard and maybe your friends didn't, you went to a private school, right? Was yeah, that, that hard? I, re I remember there was, no, actually my friends were very uh, uh, understanding. It, it, didn't it was it never didn't. like but a it thing. But it was definitely a different socioeconomic a, group mm -hmm. that I came from and where the majority of the kids that I went to school came from. Right. Even where I lived wasn't where they lived. Um, but it was never, there was other kids just like me that were doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that. Does that, do you think a little bit the socioeconomic background drives you or did drive you in terms of your own interest to excel and be? No, not I, really. No, because no. I, I, like I said, I, I never wanted for anything. 
I never really saw the difference back then. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I don't think that was it. It was just that I wanted. I knew that I wanted to be able to do things right. that were out of my bicycle realm, and that was a vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> that was a me. Yeah. Okay, I got it. All right. So then, um, in terms of your kind of outdoor interests, um, we've talked a lot about hunting, and you've done a lot with hunter education and. Um, that can be a triggering interest, right? It can trigger people in a lot of different ways. And so one of the things I did want to talk about you on here because I feel like as someone who had no exposure, my dad was not, my dad was like very outdoors in that he did a lot with our yard. (laughs) You know what I mean? He Mm -hmm. liked being outdoors. He played golf. He was, he ran. I mean, he, but he, but I, I wasn't really exposed to, that kind of interest and so I think meeting you and getting to know you really well was really my first exposure and admittedly I think I had I know I'm not a hugely judgmental person but I definitely it like what you sometimes what you don't know mm-hmm. and the less educated you are you can um say really stupid things <laughs> frankly or just not know enough to even comment right mm-hmm. so I'm interested um one how um for you, if you feel like that's been something you've had to defend in terms of your interests in that space, and then what are some of the things that you think are myths, right, that people commonly don't understand about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be helpful for people to hear. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I had to defend it mostly when I was probably in high school because a really? lot of those people didn't do it growing up in this area. Right. And now that I'm in the industry and I'm an advocate mm-hmm. for it in my job, I travel all around the country. I was just out in North Dakota two days ago. And it's very different depending on where you live, your view on hunting. Um, in places in, you know, the, the breadbasket, the rural um, part of this country, most people do it or they're, right. or they know someone who does it. Now, when you get to the two coasts in this country, um, there's obviously less opportunity. And if you don't grow up in a family that hunts, the likelihood of you doing it are extremely slim in this country. And did you, did your dad hunt? He did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Would he you go with him? Yep. He introduced me to it. Yep. Yep. He introduced me to it. And then once I got the, once I learned, I loved it. And then it just, just exploded from there. I just right. took off in my own directions of how I do it. But yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of misinterpretation of hunters and hunting in this country. Um, it's actually the most highly regulated activity in the United States. So a lot of people think that hunters just go out there and do whatever they want 24 seven. It's not, it's very scientific about what you can hunt and when you can hunt uh, and, and when you can hunt those species um, and it's all relates around biology. Mm-hmm. And it's there are there's a lot of people in this country employed by state agencies and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service who are very, very smart, who do nothing but manage wildlife populations. And hunters help in that and keep the balance of nature. Um, it's what's called the North American model of conservation. Mm. And the hunters are a very big part of it. And then what a lot of people don't recognize is that hunters, um, through access fees and license fees, pay the majority of share for conservation in this country. Um, and then you always get the people to say, oh, you just save them so you can kill them. Well, that's not accurate. Um, the, 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 
the harvest of what a hunter harvest is is minuscule compared to what they save mm. um, and it's not just saving to shoot them it's it's so much more than that. It's the entire ecosystem. If you're into saving waterfowl, there's so many other species that benefit from saving wetlands. Um, I, I've read that there's almost 800 species that um, require wetlands to live. So the people that, that spend money to save wetlands because they like to waterfowl hunt, they're doing so much wow. better for the ecosystem and the resource. What have you found, like, because you've been to so many interesting places, I just thought of this as you were talking, like, um, you've been everywhere. And so what are some of your best experiences in terms of your travel and um, in terms of just some of the outdoor recreation and sports that you've done? Like, what would you say? Um, because I do think this, like, given your, you've chosen a career in this field and then it's allowed you these opportunities, uh, it also just reflects the fact that you do have this passion and you've kind of figured out a way for it to be such a part of your life that it's kind of cool to hear about some of your experiences in in that space. Uh, yeah, I mean, there. one thing that I have learned is that there is great things just out your back door. Mm. So, yes, I've been very fortunate to see every state in the country, um, every nook and cranny of most states because of my travel has taken me to some of the most wild places and back roads. But uh, just right here in Northern Virginia, you it doesn't go far to see the wonders of nature. And you can go see it in, in parks nearby or Great Falls or many places. Mm -hmm. You just got to go out and do that. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in this country to see. Just to go out, get outside. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I've lately just been unbelievably enthralled with spiders so just the uh, it's unbelievable yeah. you look what a spider does in a web and how big those webs are and the work that goes into creating that web and then we'll walk through them in the woods and destroy the work they've done in right. 24 hours but, right but if you actually sit back and look at a spider web and how much work goes into it it's amazing it's it's just and you can see that anywhere right but just the work that goes into a spider web and it's just one little tiny part of nature it's incredible you know and it's interesting because people have a lot of fears right you bring up the spider thing but i think generally with animals there's this there's a lot of fear between like humans and animals and the and the fact that you are so educated and you i mean we spend a lot of time with you and i feel like i have an appreciation or an understanding that i didn't have before so i think people I was this was going to be next question is just what do you wish people would do to be better educated about nature conservation animals in general right like because I think you're a innately curious person on this topic so it comes very easy to you and you want to find out as much as you can but what are some things that you know people can do to get better educated or just to learn more if they are interested in this kind of path that's another sure. thing I want to ask mm -hmm. you yeah. how can they like my son Scott for example he's so interested in nature I don't you know so how how can he best position himself to do that kind of work uh, you know nowadays again you got the yeah. internet that yeah, we yeah. didn't have we didn't have any of that to be able to understand um, the 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 different specialties that can be done in the outdoor industry right. I mean there are so many I mean, you can work for the United States U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, most of the, a lot of those people have you know, ologies and mm -hmm. biology right. or something like that. Um, either either if it's for plant life or animal life, 
Um, you can go into uh, geology. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's so many ways to be outside and work in the industry and geology. Um, you know, you can go to national wildlife refuges, and there's a lot of them in the, in the Northern Virginia area mm -hmm. or around the country, and talk to those people there. Uh, national parks. Parks, right? Oh, yeah. National parks or state parks, your, your, your parks and recreation department, mm -hmm. is going to have somebody there that has some um, background, that went to some kind of schooling to get where they are. Right. But there's a lot of avenues to, to I think to the other thing you talked about, this is, and again, maybe it's opportunity, but it's also putting yourself in those situations. Like all those summers you worked at farms, all those camping trips you took with Boy Scouts, there's, there's ways that you integrated that into oh, your yeah. life before you're in a job oh. getting paid to do it. Oh, there's so no I, doubt. Right, so you need that practical experience and and putting yourself out there and exposed, right, to yep. those elements and yep. to, to doing that. Yep, and there was a lot of things that I found along the way. It was like, I don't want to do that. Um, it showed me what I didn't want to do by right. meeting people about how they got to where they were. Or, oh, yeah, there's... If you immerse yourself in to anything, you're going to learn a lot about it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I did. Yeah. And that's sort of the next question, too, which I think hopefully ties to it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I like to ask people are or is just when you think back about um, your younger self and now you have this great vantage point of being, you know, later in life and having career success in this field. So what would kind of counsel would you give yourself, right? Knowing your own trajectory, some of the things we've talked about, like what advice would you say Hey, young Peter, <laughs> take note, right? Mm -hmm. What are a couple of things that right. you would say to yourself? Yeah, you know, if I, I certainly would have. I got very fortunate where I ended up where I ended up. Right. Um, you know, there was, there, there was, you know, many years of scratching to get here and offering myself up to take job transfers and move to places that yeah. people didn't want to move. Um, that I may not have been got where I am now without doing that. Um, so I'm very fortunate, and I have no regrets on being where I am. I'm very lucky to be where I am right now, um, doing what I'm doing. But had I known more about what was available into the world, mm -hmm. um, I certainly would have loved to know that back then. Um, you know, for example, my, my wife, one of my favorite job titles in the world is a volcanologist um, yeah. and in the study of volcanoes. I would have uh, loved to have done that because that interests me so much. And geology interests the heck out. You've seen my house. Yeah. I got rocks everywhere. Yeah. I pick up a rock and I got piles of rock around this house from all corners of the mm -hmm. world. I am so interested in rocks mm -hmm. um, and how they created yeah. the earth yeah. and, and the different land features that we have in the United States because of the different type of rocks, because of volcanic activity or it was glaciated. I wish I would have known more when I was younger because that probably would have been a direction I would go. Yeah. Have gone. I think something else that is really just in terms of if I were to think about your story, like your curiosity and your interest in knowing more and being open to that process, I think is so important. And not, not a lot of people have that or today there's so much on-demand information yeah. that you feel like you're learning about something if you watch a two-second or right. two-minute video, but yeah. the, not, the really understand something or create 
like real knowledge, you have to go deeper into that and subject you matter. I have, I have almost no ego and I don't get embarrassed. So I'll ask questions yes. and it doesn't, and it doesn't bother me if someone looks at me and thinks, Oh my God, why doesn't he know that? It just, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I will ask a question. Yeah. I'm not one of those guys that's afraid to ask for directions. If I'm lost, I'm pulling over and ask someone the first time. Right. Um, it right. Doesn't, doesn't bother me. I yeah. got to get to where I'm going. Um, and questions get you to where you're going. That's another, I know it's just a side shoot, but it just made me think of this too. Like I feel like for all of your adventuring and all the things that you do, I also feel like you, you have this great balance of like, you're cautious, right? Like you're, you're like not like you're an adventurer, but I feel like you're a smart adventurer and you know the boundaries in which to work. And anytime we do stuff with our family, our kids, you're always like, okay, well let's talk about the safety first and then we're going to do X. And I feel like there's a balance to that, right? It's not just like yeah, you can't be um, you can't be um, um, just go off willy nilly. You've got right. to have a plan, yeah. right? Yeah. And everything I've done speeches about that with my old company is about having going wanting to know where you're going to go and how you're going to get there. Um, you know, the old uh, carpenters used to say, "Measure twice, cut once." Uh-huh. And so I used to do that when I used to do a lot of outdoor navigation in the West. Yeah where I would go for days with just a map and a compass. No GPSs, kids. Um, <laughs> just the old learning yeah. what UTM coordinates are, is that if you don't know exactly where you are at all times, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Right. Um, so being cautious and understanding and, and making a plan is very important. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I thank you. I think I've taken up a lot of your time, but I appreciate your uh, contributions to this episode. I think it's awesome, and I think it's a great story, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and thank you, River. It's so nice to get to talk with a really good friend. Thank you for sharing your story and teaching us a little bit about nature and the outdoors. A special thanks to Missy, my producer on this episode. As a reminder, if you like this discussion, please subscribe and rate Relatable on iTunes. You can also follow Teresa Freeman Associates on Twitter, uh, like TFA on Facebook, and you can follow us on Instagram. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.